morning, everyone. Um, as Daniel said, my name is Nicole, and um, some of you guys might be wondering, like, what is she doing up here? She's normally the one giving announcements or just generally, like, acting a fool at Verdi. But um, it's such a treat for me to be up here um, because I believe that God has a word for each and every single one of us that's going to take us deeper um, into intimacy with him. And so today, um, I'm going to be preaching from Luke chapter 15. 15, verse 11 to 32. If you guys have your Bibles or your Bible app, if you guys could turn there, or if you're particularly lazy, we will have it projected up on the screens. <clears throat> I'm going to be reading from the ESV version, um, and a lot of you guys might be familiar with this parable. It's the parable of the prodigal son. So it says, and this is Jesus, he's speaking, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring the quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this younger, for this your younger brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your presence in this room. God, your presence is life to us. And as we have gathered in this place, God, it's not our desire to be entertained 
It's not our desire, God, to, to have a, a good feeling, but it's our desire to meet with you. And it's our desire, God, to hear your voice, to see your face, to encounter the living God. And so, Lord, would you reveal yourself to each and every single one of your sons and daughters in this house. May we behold the face of God this morning. We thank you, God. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so um, if you grew up in the church, you probably are familiar with the parable of the prodigal son. Um, but as I was reading it, one thing that was kind of funny to me is that like in this story, you can kind of see the stereotypical roles of like the elder son and the younger son, right? Um, for me, I have an older brother, so I'm the youngest in my family. And like some of these traits, like you can kind of see, it's like very stereotypical, but it's for real too. Like uh, how many of you guys are the oldest in your family? Like the firstborn? Okay, how many of you guys are the youngest in your family? Me too. Uh, how many of you guys are the middle? How many of you are the only child? <laughs> okay, sorry, for the middle and the only child, I got nothing for you. But <laughs> because this story is about the oldest and the youngest. So um, I just want to read you something that I found. It's, and this is like the typical traits of like the firstborn and the lastborn, but it's backed by research. Like it's true. Researchers have found that this is true. It says, uh, firstborn children tend to be achievement-oriented, often performing well in school and thriving in leadership positions. Daniel. Firstborns are the first of everything, and they are the standard bearers. Most U.S. presidents have been firstborn or only children, like Rebecca. Firstborns tend to be responsible, competitive, and conventional. However, even if the eldest sibling is generally seen as the most put together, the pressure of trying to please can easily get to them. According to clinical psychologist Linda Blair, the eldest is apparently more likely to suffer feelings of anxiety and insecurity due to losing the attention of parents when the second child comes along. Sorry. <laughs> so that's firstborns, right? Okay, and then lastborns. It says lastborns usually do tend to get away with more than their siblings do. They shoulder less responsibility, so they tend to be more carefree, easygoing, fun-loving, affectionate, and sociable, and they like to make people laugh. But being the youngest isn't all roses, because lastborns view, view their older siblings as bigger, faster, and smarter. They may attempt to differentiate themselves by being more rebellious. Lastborns have an I'll show them attitude, and if older siblings baby the baby, lastborns might be spoiled and manipulative, but not me. <laughs> so, um, so when we look at this story, um, a lot of times, like, we've heard a lot um, about the younger son, right? The younger son is the one who left home. He's the one who was, like, a total brat and uh, rebelled against his father and took his inheritance and squandered it. We know that, right? But today I want to focus on both the younger son and the elder son because I want to propose to you that we have a little bit of the older son and both the younger son in us. So um, if we look here, how are we like the older, the younger son. Um, obviously, so before we get into that, like, 
the younger son, he basically tells to his dad, he basically says to his dad, like, dad, I can't wait for you to die. Like, give me my money now. Like, I want my inheritance now. And so the dad, for whatever reason, decides to give it to his son. And the son goes away. And he squanders it all on, like, reckless living. Um, he has the time of his life, but all of the money is gone, right? And he soon finds himself in a place where he has no money to eat. And so out of desperation and out of starvation, he goes and he, ha- he uh, works for somebody who gives him a job to, sell, to feed the pigs, right? And he's so hungry that even the food that the pigs are eating looks good to him but he can't eat it until all of a sudden he realizes, wait a second, like everybody that's working at my father's house, even the servants, they eat better than I do right now. So he works up, he decides to like go back to his father. And in the meantime, he prepares a speech and everything that he's going to say to his dad. And he goes to, he's on the way uh, back to his father's house. And before he even sees his father, uh, his dad already sees him along the horizon and his dad runs to meet him and to embrace him. And that's the story that like we are all pretty familiar with, right? But it doesn't end there. Um, it goes on to say that they threw a party for him and everybody's having a great time. They're having a barbecue. Um, and the, young, the older son, he comes in from the field. He's working in the field and he comes in the house and he sees what's all of this commotion about. And the servant tells him, your younger brother is home. And so we just, we, your father threw a party for him. And he's like, so upset. Um, he doesn't understand because he's the one that's been working all of these years. He never left the father's house. He's the one that's been working all of these years. And yet he feels like it's not fair. It's not fair that my rebellious son who did all the things wrong, like when he comes home, he gets a party when I never got any of that. And so, um, And the father finds out that his son isn't there. He's upset. And so the father goes to talk to him. um, And he says, why are you upset? And the elder son says, you know, it's not fair. It's not fair. I've been slaving for you all of these years. And you never even gave me a young goat to celebrate with my friends. So I feel like in this story, we see that we are both like the the younger son and the elder son. Because in this story, Neither of them, neither of the sons really understood the father's heart. They, neither of them really knew the father. Even though one of them physically left the father's house, both of them didn't know who their dad was. So um, how we're like the younger son. I mean, I don't know about you. I don't know what kind of past you had, what kind of history you had, whether you were pretty reckless in your younger days, whether you had those days before Christ, you know, when you were like partying or whatever, you know, just like reckless living. Um, But even if you weren't, even if you were a good girl like me who grew up in the church, (laughs) what? (laughs) In Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we know that. We know. I don't, I feel like I don't need to remind you guys that we have sinned and that we have fallen short of God's glory. And in that way, we are like the, the younger son. But I want to propose to you that we are like, also like the older son. And that even though, even though um, it's not like you're going out living recklessly every day, you're still coming to church, you're still here. Even though you're not living like that, we still have the tendency to act like the elder son when we compare. When we compare and when we feel like it's all about what we can do. And when the focus is all about 
uh, my abilities, what I can do, my self-righteousness, my strength, my gifting. You know, I remember when um, I first decided to come to Living Hope. Um, it was a couple years ago. I was living in Korea before, and then I just moved back um, to the Bay, and I decided to go to Living Hope. But I remember before I came, I was feeling kind of nervous and like kind of anxious, even though like a lot of my friends were at this church, like I knew about this church I'd been before, but part of me was still so anxious to like really join, oops, to really join and become a member of this house. And the reason why was because when I looked at everybody that was a part of this house, when I looked at the leadership, when I looked at the people, um, who were attending this church, like, everybody just seemed so, like, powerful. And everybody seemed so, like, spiritual, super spiritual, like, really prophetic, really anointed. You know, I felt like, like, I don't belong. And I felt like, I, in comparison, when I looked at, like, the anointing of this house, and when I looked at, like, the people that were here, I just felt like, who am I? Like, I can't, I feel like I can't do that. Like, I don't know. I'm not comfortable, like, prophesying. I'm not comfortable, like, doing all of this. Like, I'm not comfortable with any of these things. And so I felt, like, so nervous and so, like, oh, I, I don't, I, it's like that place of resistance that I felt like I didn't want to join. But I realized, like, as I was, as I was praying about that, like, what the Lord said to me was, don't look at them. Look at me. Like, will you turn your gaze on me? Will you look at me? And when you turn your gaze on me, that's all that matters. Because when you're comparing yourself to other people, your gaze is on yourself and your gaze is on others. And when your gaze is on, you're on yourself and not on others, you can't look at God. And you can't receive the things from God. And so I feel, I feel like in the same way, I don't, know, I don't know if you've struggled in the same way as I had, but... I feel like God is saying, like, will you look at me? Will you look into my eyes? Will you look at my face? Don't worry about the people around you. Don't worry about what other people will think. Don't worry about what you can and cannot do. Will you look in my eyes? Will you look at my face? And so we see that with comparison, with self-righteousness, with all the things that we can and cannot do, it's all about you, and it's not about God. And so just like in that way, we have a tendency to also be like the older son. But both sinful living and both comparison and self-righteousness, it leads to shame, it leads to condemnation. And both of those things keeps you from really knowing and understanding the Father's heart. And, you know, when, there's, um, when you're living in sin... And when you're also comparing and feeling like it's all about what I can do, it's all about um, my performance and my self-righteousness, it will always lead to guilt. It will always lead to shame because you will find that you will never, ever measure up, that you will never be enough apart from God. And, it's, and, and whenever you like feel like you've messed up, whenever you feel like you don't measure up, whenever you feel like you've made a mistake, that shame and that condemnation will keep you from returning to God, will keep you from going to God. And if you look here, um, if you look here in verse 20, it says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the thing 
that I see in this verse is that the father ran. He didn't just walk. He didn't take his time when he saw his son. He didn't just, he, he didn't just walk slowly. He ran to his son. And as soon as he embraced his son, he said, quick, quick, get the robe, get the ring, put the ring on his finger, get the robe, put it on my son. He said, quick. And the thing that we have to know is that a lot of times when we feel like it's about us, when we feel like we're in sin, we have a tendency to go to God slowly. We have a tendency to hide from him in our shame and in our guilt. And we feel like, oh God, like, I don't want to, like, like when I feel like I've messed up, I don't want to turn to you. I don't want to turn to you because I feel like you're upset with me. Or I don't want to turn to you because, like, I feel like, like, you're not going to receive me. Like, I just messed up. But, and so we're so slow to turn to God. But I feel like God is saying, no, my son, my daughter, like, when you feel like you've messed up, when you feel like you've fallen short, you have to return to me quickly. Come quickly. Don't hesitate. Don't stay in the pit for a second longer. You need to come to me because I'm so ready to forgive. I'm so ready to receive and I'm so ready to embrace. And a lot of times we don't realize that God is so much faster at receiving us than we are at turning to him. So he says, quick, Quick, bring the robe. Quick, bring the ring. Quick, bring the sandals. I can't wait a second longer to embrace you. I can't wait a second longer to receive my son. So we need to learn to return to the Father quickly. And you know, I feel like it's easy to get discouraged because I'm just talking about how we failed, right? How we failed as the older son, how we failed as the younger son, but there is hope. Because of Jesus, there is hope. And if I was reading this story and I realized Jesus actually, he is the real younger son and he's the real older son. And some of you guys might be wondering, huh? Why? How? Um, it says in John 6:38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And just like the younger son, Jesus left the Father's house. He left heaven and all of the glory of heaven, and he moved to a distant land. He left for a distant country, not for his own selfish living and for his own selfish ambition, but he left for a distant country to seek and to save the lost and to do the Father's will. And so we see that just like the younger son, Jesus left the provision of heaven. He left the glory of heaven. He left the, the safety of heaven. And he came to a world that was broken and dying. And he lived in squalor for our sake. So just like the younger son, but not really like the younger son, Jesus is the true son and the true example of what it is to be a younger son for us. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. And so we see that Jesus is not only the perfect younger son, he's also the perfect firstborn son. He is the perfect older son. He never, he understood the father's heart and he never sinned, but he lived a life of perfect obedience to do the father's will. But when the lost returns home, Jesus is there to share in his father's joy. He's there to rejoice with the father and to welcome the lost home. He's there to do everything that elder son 
could not do because Jesus realized the focus is he forsook his own glory and his own recognition. The focus was not on him. And so we see that everything that, the, that we fail to do as both the younger son and the elder son, that God has redeemed through Jesus, the firstborn son of all creation. Okay. Um, in Luke chapter 15, verse 12, it says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So I want to talk a little bit about as we are the sons and daughters of God, that we have an inheritance that we receive from the father. It says that um, the younger son asked for his inheritance and the father divided his everything he had between the two sons. He divided his property between both of them. And so both sons had an inheritance, which means that one day, that when the father dies, that everything that belongs to the father will now belong to his sons and that it is their right to receive it. It's their birthright to receive it as sons of the father. And so um, in order for someone in the natural, in order for someone to receive something, to receive an inheritance, someone has to die, right? Someone has to die. But in order for us to receive our inheritance, Jesus had to die. Jesus was the one that had to die in order for us to receive the inheritance through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he died for us to inherit the fullness of life that God has intended for us. And I want to talk a little bit about what is our spiritual inheritance. Um, what does that mean? When we say that you have received a spiritual inheritance through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what does that mean? It's one thing. Your inheritance is God himself. It's relationship with God himself. It's his words. It's his presence. It's his spirit. It's everything that he is and everything that he, that he has for you, that's yours to claim. That's your inheritance. It's his presence and it's his word. It's his spirit and his word. Everything that he is, that is your inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 to 14 in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so you see that we have an inheritance that not only we will receive in heaven one day, but we have an inheritance to receive here and now in our present life. Here on this side of eternity, we have an inheritance that we need to claim and to possess. And it says that the Holy Spirit here, he is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is our down payment. He's the down payment of our inheritance, which we will receive in full in heaven. So I want to tell you that receiving the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the spirit of life in this series, right? Receiving the Holy Spirit is your inheritance. It is your right 
as a son and as a daughter of God to receive the Holy Spirit. It is not just for the spiritually elite. It's not just for a select few. It's not just for the ones that you see lifting their hands in worship. It's for all who are called the sons and daughters of God. The Holy Spirit is your inheritance. And as a son and daughter of God, you have a full access and the right to receive the Holy Spirit. It's not just for a few, it's for all of us. And it's your right as his son and as his daughter to receive it. So <clears throat> I want to uh, read from uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 22, that not only is the spirit of God your inheritance as sons and daughters, but it's every word that comes from the Father's mouth. It's every word that he has spoken that is your inheritance. In Acts chapter 20, verse 22, it says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It's the word of God that has been passed down through the ages among those who are sanctified from generation to generation. That is your inheritance. Do you know what that means? It means that everything that you read in scripture, every word that is written in the Bible is for you. It is for you to claim. It's for you to possess. And so when the word says that no weapon forged against you will prosper, that is for you. When the word says that the never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, that that is for you. When the word says that you have been given the authority to heal the sick, to cast out demons, that is for you. That is your inheritance. When God says that nothing in this life, neither life nor death, nor angels or demons or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from my love, that is for you. And that is the inheritance that you have as a son and as a daughter of God. That every word that is written in the word of God is for you to claim. Not just parts of it, not just pieces of it, every single word. And he promises the Holy Spirit. He promises us the spirit of life. He promises us that we are not alone. That's for you. That is your inheritance. And you know, I was reading uh, through, uh, and I was reading through PB's devotion this week. I don't know if you guys have been doing that as well. Um, but we read through Luke chapter 3 this past week, and it talked about the baptism um, uh, and the genealogy of Jesus. So it talked about how when Jesus first began his ministry, uh, before that he was baptized. And as soon as he came up out of the water, the heavens opened and a, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, this is my son whom I love. And with him, I am well pleased. And immediately after that, the spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil. Where he's tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. He has neither food nor drink. And he's tempted by the, by, by the evil one. And then after that, Jesus is led finally uh, to his hometown to begin his ministry. And I... And, uh, I read that after, after all of that, immediately it talks about, uh, oh, sorry, no, I'm getting that confused. That's Luke 4. 
Sorry, my bad. Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Before Jesus begins his ministry, he talks about the genealogy, the line of Jesus, the family line of Jesus. And it goes all the way down through the ages. It talks about, it goes from Adam uh, to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and all the way down until we get to Jesus. And as I was reading that, I was thinking, wow. Like, what an honor and a privilege it is to be in the family line of Jesus. What an honor it is to be in the line of the Messiah, of the coming king. What an honor it is to be in that family line. And then I realized we have been grafted into that family line. That though we didn't deserve it, though we did not deserve it, though we did nothing to earn it, that God in his grace saw fit to bring us into the family line of Jesus. And that now, as his family, that we share in the inheritance, not only the inheritance um, just of our generation alone, but the inheritance of the saints, of the, each generation that has come, that has the inheritance that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. It's the inheritance of faith and it's the inheritance of the word of God. The word of God that has withstood the test of time, that has never failed. That word and that faith is our inheritance. Inheritance. Um, and I was thinking like, when we're talking about the generations and the generation and the family line of Jesus, I was thinking about my own family. And my parents, um, they are first-generation Korean-American immigrants. Um, and when they first came to this country, like, they struggled a lot. Um, this is like the story of many immigrant families in this country. They struggled a lot. They worked so hard and they put up with so much. But why did they do all of that? It wasn't just so that they could have a nice, comfortable life for themselves and that was it. But they struggled, they toiled, they worked so that the, the next generation, me and my brother, could reap in the benefits of their work, could reap in the benefits and could inherit what they have worked towards. And when you look at uh, the inheritance, inheritance, from generation to generation, it should increase, right? What I receive from my parents, and uh, yeah, what I receive from my parents, I'm not gonna just keep it to myself, right? I'm not gonna just keep it to myself and I'm not just gonna let it stop with me. But I'm gonna work hard so that my children, my children could have even more, even a better quality, an even better quality of life, greater wealth, greater resources, that it's not just gonna be like, oh, I'm just gonna work hard, I'm just gonna receive what my parents gave me and then that's it, sorry sons and daughters, like you're on your own. It's not going to be like that. It increases from generation to generation, from glory to glory, from, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. It increases, increases to Jesus, and it goes from glory to glory. And so the question that I have for you today is, with this inheritance that you receive from God, his words, his spirit, his life, with this inheritance that you receive, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do? Are you going to be like the younger son who took his inheritance and squandered it in selfish living, in reckless living, in selfish ambition? 
Or are you going to be like the elder son who didn't even realize that he had an inheritance? He didn't even realize that everything that the father had belonged to him. What are you going to be like? Are you going to be like the younger son or the elder son? Or are you going to choose to say, God, with everything that you've given to me, with everything that I've received, Lord, I'm going to give it back to you. And I'm going to choose to live for you. I'm going to cause my inheritance, inheritance to multiply, to increase, to go from glory to glory. I'm going to cause my inheritance. God, to increase until the glory of God fills the earth, until it multiplies, until it has grown. Which are you going to be? And so, let's see. I want to ask the worship team to come. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I want to ask the worship team to come. Um, Because I believe that God is inviting us into a deeper understanding of the Father's heart and of the rightful inheritance that we have as sons and daughters of God. And I want to share, this is something that I've shared a couple weeks ago um, at Shift. But like both sons, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus has made a way for each of us. And I want to share, um, a long time ago, a couple years ago, um, in Davis, uh, where I went to college, I remember at this time, I was so broken and so in such a dark place, but all I knew was that I wanted the Lord. All I knew is that I wanted intimacy with him. And I wanted to be with him, but I just felt so unworthy. I felt so unworthy, and I felt so inadequate. I felt so weak, and I felt so much shame. Because God, I want to I live for you. I want to be close to you, but I feel like it's impossible. It's impossible. I'm so weak. I'm so broken. I'm so sinful. I'm always falling into sin, making mistake after mistake after mistake. I don't know how to love my brothers and sisters. I don't know how to seek your face without getting distracted. I don't know how to love you with all of my heart. And I remember in worship feeling so broken and distant from the Father. And I felt like a beggar crawling I remember during that time in worship that I saw the throne room of God. And as I approached the throne room of God, I was in tattered clothes and I was crawling on my knees. I didn't even have the strength to stand and to walk. But I was crawling on my knees, approaching the throne room of God. And I saw a door in front of me. And as I lifted, I could barely, in this vision, I could barely lift up my hand to touch the door. But as soon as I touched the door, crawling to God with no strength of my own, as soon as I touched the door, my surrounding, everything around me changed. And instantly, I was in a field outside. The sun was shining. The air was crisp. And I was walking in a field 
And as soon as I was walking, I started to walk in the field. I saw God himself running to meet me. I saw God himself running to meet me and to embrace me and to hold me and to say that, Nicole, I love you. I love you. That, that, that you are my child, my daughter, whom I love. And there is nothing that can separate you from my love. There is nothing that you can do or you can't do that will separate me from my love and from my presence and from my acceptance, from everything that I have for you. And so today, I feel like God is inviting us, my son, my daughter, will you come? Will you come quickly to me? I know, I know your failures. I know your weakness. I am well aware. You don't need to remind me. I know your shortcomings. I know your inadequacies. I know every mistake that you have made. But I am so ready to receive you now. I am so ready to put a robe around you and a ring on your finger and sandals on your feet. I am so ready to give you every, all of myself. All of myself. I am so ready to do that. So will you, in this moment, will you turn your gaze to the Lord? Not at the people around you, not at your situation, not at your circumstance, not at what you can do, not even at yourself. It's time to take the gaze off of yourself and put it on your Father. So will you, I want you to imagine that God himself is standing right in front of you. That God himself has his gaze on you. Will you imagine that God is standing right before you? And will you lift up your gaze to God? Will you lift up your gaze to the Lord and look into his eyes? his eyes of pure love, his eyes of pure light and pure goodness. Look into his eyes. What is he saying to you? What does he want to show you? Jesus, you are beautiful. Jesus, you are glorious. And we say that all of the glory is yours. All of the glory belongs to you. That you will be glorified. You must receive all your glory. That Jesus, you are the true elder son. You are the true younger son. And Jesus, you will receive your inheritance. You will receive your inheritance. The inheritance of our lives. Of our devotion. Of our adoration. Of our complete surrender. Jesus, you will receive your inheritance. The inheritance of our lives. We lay it down before you. And 
and we declare, Jesus, that you will receive all the glory that is due to your name, all the glory that is due to you and you alone. Father, we surrender our lives before you here and now. We surrender all that we are before you, and we say that, Jesus, you are worthy to receive it all. You are the true elder son. You are the true son of God, and you shall receive all that is due to your glory, to your name. You shall receive all of your inheritance. I feel like today, God is asking you, my son, my daughter, will you give your all to me? For all that I have given to you, God, will you give it all to me? Will you give me all of your past, all of your present, and all of your future, all of your hopes, and all of your dreams, everything that you are and everything that you have, will you give it to me? Because God, you are so worthy. Lord, you are worthy. There is no one else and nothing else that is worthy of our lives, that is worthy of our devotion, of our adoration. There is no one else that is worthy of, of ourselves as you are God. And so God, I choose to take the inheritance that you've given to me, to take all that you have given to me, to take all that I have received from you and I choose God to cause the inheritance that I have to multiply to increase it until your glory fills the earth until your name is known among all the nations until every generation God we will be the generation Father that will take your inheritance and increase it and multiply it and will glorify your name we will be the generation who will live for you if that is you if you want to live with your life completely surrendered to the Lord, I want you to put your hand over your heart. And I want you to put one hand out in front of you to say, God, with all my heart and everything that is inside of it and everything that I am, God, I give it to you. I give it to you. This is my offering unto you. This is my offering. This is my sacrifice. It's my life. I give it to you. And there's no one else that I would rather live for. I live and die and I breathe for your glory and your glory alone. I live and die for your renown and for your kingdom. God, I give you all that I am and all that I have. God, I give it to you because you are worthy, King Jesus. You are worthy to re receive your inheritance. You are worthy to receive your glory. Father, I thank you for your love, the love that you have for each and every single one of your sons and your daughters here in this house, God. And I thank you that your desire is for deep intimacy with us. That your desire, God, is that we would know your heart that we would know your love, the love of the Father. Now your desire is that we would know all that we have in Christ Jesus. 
that all that we have as the inheritance of your saints, God. And I thank you, Father, that you are calling each and every single one of us, Father, to live a life that is surrendered to you, to live a life that is fully devoted and given over to you, God, to take what we have received and cause it to increase until your glory fills the earth, God. And so we thank you. We thank you, God, for every life that you have called for your glory. And we thank you, God, for the words that you have spoken, the words that we have received. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name.